everyone and welcome to the Cal Hope Schools Initiative Educator Series Forum. I'm very excited to be here. I'm Lori Woodley Langendorf. I'm the co-founder and uh, executive director, CEO of All It Takes. We're a nonprofit organization here in the state of California serving youth and those who serve them with the skills they need to live healthy, successful lives and support the communities which they live in and our world at large. And I'm so excited on our topic today. As a school counselor for the last 26 years, I've been credentialed in California, have the PPS credential in California for 30 years for counseling. I can't tell you that any other topic than SEL, emotional intelligence, life skills, the skills that help us navigate really hard and really joyful circumstance in our life is not a passion that I have. And I am grateful to be joined today by three people across the state of California. I'll let them tell you where they're at so you know you're represented wherever you might be tuning in from, who are also passionate about the skills that our kids need to live lives that are extraordinary, where they can dream big and know how to go get their dreams. Um, our academics and our educators are doing a great job filling in the academics. And many of us are filling in the other side so that when the academics are learned, there's an ability to apply them real time in the lives of our children. So I'd like to just introduce you quickly to Carla Trutman. Carla is the Director of School-Based Mental Health and Wellness from the Siskiyou, yes. right? Siskiyou County Office of Ed. Part of her role includes creating positive educational experiences for underserved rural students. Welcome, Carla, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm, it's, I'm, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're super grateful you are. Dr. Loretta Whitson, Executive Director for the California Association of School Counselors, um, CASC. This is like my community. I remember seeing uh, Loretta on the stage when I was in my credentialing program a very long time ago. And I'm grateful now that we are colleagues and know each other in this work together. Um, CASC is the largest school counseling association in the nation. And that's all because of the work that Loretta's done. So welcome, Loretta. Thank you for being here. Love, love and you. Dr. Edgar Sasueta. Sueta? You got it. Sasueta. Okay. Um, Dr. Edgar Sasueta mm -hmm. is joining us as the executive director from AXA, the Association of California School Administrators, representing all of the administrator leadership across the state of California who are working tirelessly to find ways to support their educators on their teams to be able to support their students. And ultimately, I'd like to say that each of, each of you serve a community of people, large, and those that community ultimately serves millions of students. And so all the work you're doing is making a difference for our kids across the state. Thank you for being here. You have a little bit of them now, and now I'd like to ask each of you to tell us more about yourself and why you joined us today. Why the call for a conversation around SEL, emotional intelligence skills for our kids, um, and what you're seeing, you know, down, like those you serve are, you know, boots on the ground. Why are you here? Um, Edgar, would you like to go first? Sure. Thanks, Laurie. And thank, thank you, Laurie, for the introduction. And thanks for the support of Cal Hope of, of just putting this on, this important conversation. Um, I think it just, it, it's timely. And I know it goes without saying. And I assume that the folks that tuned in here, it's because to your question, it, it is very personal. Uh, and I think for for myself in my both professional capacity and my personal capacity, there's been, there's such a focus right now on social emotional learning. Uh, I'm going to make the understatement of, of of not just the hour, but probably the year in saying that the last couple of years have been difficult. Right. And I know it's really easy to just throw that around. But if we really take a step back, it's been hard. It's been hard for everybody. Um my job, obviously, is is to represent our school administrators, and, and it, it goes without saying. And I I really do believe that if you think about the issues that our school system was facing, um, they were at the epicenter of this, right? Um, 
you know, you just even last year, which was not even the quote unquote, the most challenging year of the pandemic or not where it started, not when we were all afraid per se, we had been living with it for a few years. But even if you talk to educators anywhere around the state, they'll argue that last year may have been the most difficult school year that they faced in their in their whole career. Right. These are folks who have been veterans for for decades saying that this last year might have been the most difficult and as is that it was really that transition year we're still very much in the transition but really trying to come back to in-person learning and really seeing the impact of all of the issues that the pandemic faced so so in short the the why is i don't know that there's any more important issue than talking about social emotional learning but also you know this whole notion of of uh, mental health and wellness it's something that our organization has really prioritized and I think one of the good things that we've seen is out of the difficulties of the pandemic, there is a renewed focus on these issues and there's common themes. And I, I love that we have a representative in Carla from CISHU, right? Like, I don't think that the issues of some of our, our, our rural communities get enough attention, but you'll hear a lot of common themes in what you're going to hear from Carla, also what we're hearing in maybe urban parts of, of the state. Um, and I think one last thing for us as, as the organization that represents the adults in the system, but really the adults in service of students, as you pointed out, Lori, is that in addition to putting attention on our students, and rightly so, and our educators, our frontline teachers and folks in the classroom, the one place that we frankly are biased, but we're, we're trying to push forward, that we also have to think about the wellness of our of our leaders, of our folks in 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 these leadership positions, because that's often a very lonely position. Uh, and there a lot is put on their plate. So that's where our organization has really tried to uh, lift up this conversation and, and put that that spin on it as well. Thank you so much, Edgar. I really appreciate you being here. And I will say that just a, through the pan in the middle of the pandemic, we we made the film A Trusted Space, Redirecting Grief to Growth. And we changed our mission statement to be to move from the our kids to and those who serve them because I could like we have to be taking care of the adults we cannot pour from an empty cup so I'm going to come back to that um, thank you for sharing that and I will come back to it um, later because I think it's really important that we have that discussion about what we need as those who are in, are in service so thank you um, Loretta would you like to go next sure I'd love to uh, so a little bit about me beyond what was uh, what Lori had said is that I actually served most of my time in the LA uh, County area in a school district as an administrator. And my first administrative job was starting a community school or a health in a health clinic, uh, which had to do with emotional uh, well-being, social well-being, and physical well-being. So that was just the focus of what we were trying to do, which is actually returning to California in some big ways. It was at that time, it was called Healthy Start. And uh, now uh, the community school movement, I think is gonna have a real impact in regards to social emotional well-being. So when we talk about social emotional learning, that's one aspect of it. It's not the whole aspect. It's one part of becoming a well-adopted person. And it's about how do you coping skills, it's how you manage, uh, employability skills. It's all the soft skills is what we call it in those terms. And it's about, um, and it's important, you know, because I've had, you know, as, a, as an administrator and a school counselor, I've had kids that were brilliant as far as academically, but socially, emotionally, not necessarily so, you know, so how do you uh, help them develop those skills so that they're able to be better adults working in working working adults and also a part of the community. And so that's why this is so important. It's all about community and we're just not a bunch of brain cells. We're about a bunch of how we are well, how we function in the world as a society, as a group of people who must get along, should get along. It's better if we get along and if we are able to have empathy and those kinds of things like that. So I love the topic. It's my very, very favorite. And and as and I'm just following up on Edgar. Is it is has been a very difficult year. It's been a difficult year for parents, for all the adults in the school, 
And uh, we've, you know, it's difficult on students because it's been a, for us as adults, we think, okay, two years of our life is, yeah, it's a long time, but it's not like a majority of our life. It's one, it's a percentage of our life, depending on how old we are. But for our kids, it's a big chunk of their life. And it really, I think, produced an, uh, the lack of predictability about the future. And I think we suffer as adults that too, is what do we, how do we really want to live our lives? Is our future secure? How do we feel about things? And so if, if anything is uh, important, more important that, rele uh, that would rank in importance, because I know we have learning loss, so we have a lot of things like that that's going on because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. It is also about the a kid's ability to absolutely understand what they've been through and then be able to transform that into their future and to really help as a part of a being an adult. So um, anyway, thank you. I'll pass yeah. it back to Lori. Yeah. Thank you, Loretta. It is everything that both of you have said is just resonates. Like I could pin, pin you know, peg off of so many different things. And um, the hardest year ever is exactly what I've heard. And so you're hearing it like this is the, you know, our educators. And that's why we're seeing so many educators consider or actually leave the field. And we can't afford that. We need great people in the field. So let's make the field great for them. Right. Like um, Carla. Yes. How about you? Um, well, thank you. And um, I, a little bit more about myself. I um, am an English uh, history teacher. I taught uh, at our local high school um, for 20 years before transitioning to the county school's office. Um, but it wasn't just where I worked. It was my home. I attended high school there. I grew up in this community. Um, I've seen this community transform from a primarily middle class uh, community um, full of people working in mills and logging and, you know, hardworking people um, to uh, communities that are primarily um, living below the poverty line. And um, our kids... Yeah, the last couple of years have been hard, but that's been on top of, you know, previous decades that have been hard for our communities. And um, so as a teacher, uh, teaching in my hometown and teaching at the school that I attended, you know, these kids that I taught, um, I knew their families. I went to school with their, you know, with their moms and dads. I, uh, you know, their parents had rooted for me at my volleyball and basketball games. And that sense of community, I could feel drifting away as, um, you know, as, as we kind of disengaged from a community that we couldn't find much hope in. And so very early on in my career, I've made it a priority to help kids recognize that their voice had power, that they mattered, and that they could change the world if they wanted it to, that they just needed that it was their community and they needed to care about it. And social emotional learning, those those tools that we, you know, can intentionally teach through social emotional learning, give kids those um, strategies that they need to self-manage when things get difficult, to grasp on to hope despite two years of COVID and then back-to-back -back wildfires that destroyed our communities in Siskiyou County in just the past two months. I mean, I want our kids to know that they can survive anything and thrive wherever they want to, to thrive, whether it's here or in some big city or in another part of the globe. I want them to know and be confident that they've got it. And so social emotional learning really helps me to give kids the tools and strategies they need to be the best version of themselves, um, you know, whatever they decide to do. And I think in the last couple of years, it's become really clear that, uh, you know, that has to extend to the educators, um, all educators, bus drivers, paraeducators, teachers, cafeteria ladies, all of those adults who serve our, our youth and our communities, you know, they need, some, they need some support too. They need some brushing up on, you know, I, I, I really think about social emotional learning kind of like uh, physical education, you know, you can't stop working out because we all know what happens when 
when you stop working out, right? Uh, and if we stop using those, you know, those muscles that are our SEL muscles, as Lori and the, you know, all it takes crew have, you know, so aptly put together, um, then then we get a little weak and we forget those strategies. So I, I just think it's a worthy endeavor to really help everybody in our communities be the best version of themselves that are so that our communities can be the best that they can be. So that's mm -hmm. why I'm here. Amazing. You're you're those you serve, families, educators, admin teachers, bus drivers, those who are anybody who's influenced by your work are so lucky. Uh, I, I think that it might be valuable for us right now. And thank you so much, Carla. But you sort of segued us into, you know, talking about educator stress. And, mm -hmm. and, and when I say educator, I want I would like to just have everybody understand that I believe that as an adult, if we influence a student, even for a one minute, we have we're educating them because we're influencing them with a smile or a frown. If we're not handling our own stress really well and we're frowning, barking, come on, who barks when we get uptight, when we get really upset? Like who barks? <laughs> you know, who whines? Like the, the things that we want our kids not to do, we're doing so often because we're not in our own like emotional wellness and focusing on that. And, you know, kudos to educators, like in every way, the greatest respect because we're thinking we need to put ourselves aside. And I'm going to ask you each just to speak to this of those adults you serve. We think, oh my gosh, our kids need so much. So we put ourselves aside and we put ourselves aside and aside and aside. And then suddenly we're having days where we don't feel proud when we go home and we're not sleeping well. And this could have been going on before the pandemic and more and more since the pandemic in ways, in numbers that are, you know, the research hasn't even been able to come out yet and count. So, you know, Loretta, do you want to take a, a just a thought, like, what are you hearing from counselors, those you serve across the state? What are their needs? And how do their needs tie to SEL and self-care? I actually think it's interesting to me, but I do think that the counselors are actually weathering the storm a little bit more better than others. And, and I've, I've wondered about that. I thought, why is that? You know, it's like they're in their element, you know? So, you know, they, you know, they're this, they went into this profession to help, you know, to help people thrive and be better people as they leave school. And so I think they're doing well, but I do think that when it comes to the whole functionality and just society in general, one of the, um, you know, it's an old kind of, adage or you know story is that that whole idea if you have a glass with rocks in it and there, each rock stands for stress and you have water in it that eventually you'll start overflowing you know and that it's important to identify all those stressors in our lives mm -hmm. and the coping skills to cope with that and I think sometimes we're so busy in education at least I know when I was in k-12 you know, it's just, you know, you know, home to sleep and a few minutes with my children, you know, it's just a lot. And so, you know, to take time to actually think about what our stressors are and then what are some low hanging fruit? You know, what can we remove that is, you know, causing a stress that uh, might help us? You know, it's like sometimes it's just doing things practically like getting my house clean, you know, because that's a stressor. I can take care of that where I might not be able to take care of. Some of those things. And what comes to mind, though, is, is actually a teacher, a fifth grade teacher that uh, years ago, she was uh, just a stellar teacher, uh, you know, had a classroom management under everything was going great. And then all of a sudden it wasn't. And she was the type of, te as teachers say, I don't have a good class this year. You know, that's what's her, you know, a lot of times they say that it's just not a good class. So the principal and I figured out that I needed to spend a little time with her. And I did just to try to get to the bottom of what was going on because it was three years and she wasn't managing these kids very well. And uh, so I sat for weeks with her and it ended up coming up that she had had cancer and the cancer was such a part of her, her uh, ideas of how she's living her life. What does she want to do with her life? It really had came into question her own mort uh, uh, mortality 
and uh, not bringing home work from school so she could live a bit of a life. And it really affected the classroom. She didn't realize it. It took her a while. And then when she realized that this was a kind of like she hadn't she had made a commitment to have some boundaries with the work she was taking home. But what she didn't do is to kind of realize how she needed to compensate differently in order to get the things that she needed done. So she came into the classroom refreshed and able to handle it every day. So I think I use that story because I think it's really relevant to all of us. You know, I know there's times where I sit back and go, Ooh, what's going on with you? Because I feel emotional. I feel stressed, you know? And, um, and so what can I peel away so that, so that the hard stuff I can do and the, the easier stuff I can kind of handle so that I don't have to uh, hold so much in any given time. So I think that's that for anyone working in schools, because also in my last little point on this one, because I think it's, you know, sometimes I think I was in business before I was in education. So I at least have a perspective of what it's like to live in a world where you don't have so many people, because when you with education, you have like, say you have, a, you know, a school district, we had 7,000 in our school district. Each of those 7,000 kids came with at least one, if not several people who cared about that kid. And, and so when you manage all those people who have a very strong interest in their particular child and how it becomes, it's a very highly stressful job, you know, because you never know what's going to happen. You know, I, I know for us in, in counseling, we try to try to have some uh, like data sets, outcomes, measurable outcomes, structure to our day but a lot of our days is just an urgent care center <laughs> that's, true. that's all we're doing you know next well, administrators too yeah and administrators too you have plans or you know as an administrator i have plans and that you know there were some days that i would say to my staff clear my schedule because something was going on right so i think that's the reality also with things is that each child comes with whatever has happened to them in that particular, in those last 24 hours or, you know, such. And, and, mm -hmm. and they can bring that to us in such a way that we have to handle that. We can't ignore it. And they, if we ignore it, then, um, you know, they'll make sure we don't, you know, they'll keep, yeah. you know, whether they're acting out or acting in and then just, you know, being able to get the help we can for them. So. And thank you, Loretta. It's like so insightful. And Edgar, I just wonder just as she, brought in, you know, the administrators, you know, getting side, like sidelined and, you know, you're in charge of all this and all the learning and all the teachers. And then, you know, all last year they were, you know, chasing COVID, you know, where it came from and tracking it and, and had nothing to do with what their job is, but it became their job. And so what are you finding from your administrators? Like what is their need that yeah. they might not even be able to articulate, but maybe you can see it. And your heart's just like, oh, my gosh, they need yeah. this kind of support. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's funny because so to start on the bright side, because for well, obviously we're talking about the challenge. But this is why I'm amazed by all educators in the field, regardless of whether administrators or across the field in, in different capacities for, you know, started the last question on saying how last year was the most difficult. Last school year was the most difficult one. And just the magic of summer, right? The magic of like that refresh of the summer, because one of the things I've been astonished as we've been going around here in this, you know, back to school mode, just the optimism, the fact that as difficult as last year was, that people really did come back, you know, with this newfound optimism. And, you know, some of that is, is this kind of the cycle of COVID and just our lives. If we remember kind of where, how different things are right now, as they were even a year ago, uh, especially in the school setting, when last year at the beginning of the year, to your point, Lori, folks, it, it, you know, for a school administrator, think about an example of a school principal. Here you're supposed to be the, the instructional leader on your campus, and you hit it on the head. I mean, you were basically a public health worker last year, all right? You had to go and do contract tracing and, you know, figure out, not to mention all the politics around the pandemic, which unfortunately schools have become an epicenter for some of the cultural fights. Right. in this country, which made the job even more difficult. But all that to say is I, I, I've been astonished by the 
the optimism and folks that this summer more than any summer that they really needed it and they're coming back refreshed and like, okay, we have a new start. But here's the problem and here's the challenge that all the stressors that, you know, that all of us have talked about in, in one sh way, shape or form, like all that damage you wore, it's cumulative, right? It's not like it just went away as, as great as the summer, as much as, you know, the beach could only do so much, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this is, this is one of the things that we're concerned about. You, you alluded to this about just the numbers and what the statistics, what every survey is finding, national, California, uh, in a number of different capacities that folks are really reaching that, that, that breaking point where they're just like, they are considering, okay, have I had enough here? And even if the worst quote unquote, and I, I, I try to not say normal anymore, cause I don't know if normal is a thing, but um, <laughs> and maybe the worst parts of the pandemic are over, hopefully. Um, I think this, this piece of what has been the accumulative impact of that is something we're really uh, thinking about it. And so in terms of what services, how can we best support them? I think first and foremost, especially when we're talking about uh, site administrators or just even in other ranks, it's just the ability that taking away the stigma of talking about it, right? Like so many, so often our mm -hmm. folks, they're supposed to be the ones with all the answers. You're supposed to be the rock. Uh, but as you said, Lori, if, you're, if your cup is empty, how can you serve your team? How can you serve students? So I think first and foremost, us trying to create some platforms and some resources to really have folks just be able to talk about it. And it's oftentimes when we have settings like this or we've we've done our own seminars and uh, Loretta was a guest on one of our uh, on one of our uh, legislative lunch breaks recently where this was a topic. And that becomes a pseudo canceling session because if nothing else. Like folks are able to just share like, hey, they're not alone. People are also in the same exact boat. So I think that's one piece of it of just like bringing attention to the issue, but then also trying to give some some tangible strategies there, some tangible strategies. And I love the analogy that Carla made about like it's just a refresher of, of that skill set. What am I supposed to do personally to just – you know, balance myself. So I think for us, it's it's identifying the issue and then trying to get some pragmatic resources or practices that our folks uh, can follow. Mm -hmm. I do I, think I, it's. Can I just say, Edgar? Is is a. I think it's so hard on the administrators, and I'm not going to you know quantify the differences, but I do know that when I've had simple things when I would lead administrative retreats and things like that, do restorative circles or something where they. We were encouraging them to talk with each other. It was so they just don't have a safe place. And it's yeah. very difficult for them because, you know, where do you share how you really feel your frustrations or just the energy that's been output because of the pandemic? And so I think that's something that's, you know, just I'm glad that you're doing the the weekly or the monthly, you know, events with the administrator. I think it's so important for them because they feel safe there. Mm -hmm. And that's what kids want too. They yeah. want trust and they want to feel safe. And that's what emotion, social emotional learning is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Carla, in line with what they are answering and speaking to, I just want to think, ask you about time. Can you like address what you're hearing and any response you have to Edgar and Loretta, but also time? Because time tends to be the thing we say, we don't have time for that. Mm -hmm. And when you and I spoke a little bit, I'm like, uh, you are speaking my language about do we, is that it, is there time to not do this? And what is, what are your thoughts on that? Um, it time is a uh, a huge resource. I mean, it's a, it's our biggest resource. Um, and I think that's true for counselors, for administrators, for parents, for educators. You know, I, I think that that's something that everyone struggles to manage is is time and um i think that a lot of focus has been put on learning loss um due to COVID, and there's a lot of pressure on schools administrators teachers to close the gap of learning loss that we have to make up those two years somehow um in you know uh right now We've got to get those kids ready. They got to, 
And, and so I think educators feel this pressure to really focus on the academics and to push really hard, you know, the academic standards and get through the curriculum. Um, but, it, and, and I know that it seems counterintuitive, but we'll never close the gap. Teachers will never close the learning gap if we don't dedicate time to building relationships and to creating that space, safe space in schools so that kids can let go of that, you know, fight or flight brain and settle in and be ready to learn. Um, you know, there's this assumption that kids come into the classroom and they're ready to learn the minute they get there. But Loretta made the point earlier, they're bringing everything that they is going on in their life with them when they walk through that classroom door. And the idea that they know how to manage that or they know how to set that down and, you know, focus on academics is a really unrealistic expectation for anyone. And so if teachers in their classroom management strategies um, don't give enough space and time to build relationships so that students can feel safe enough to learn, which means asking questions and trying things and failing and then trying again. If they don't create those those spaces and that time to do that, um, then we're really just beating our heads against the wall because we'll never close the gap. We, we don't have students that are ready to learn. And I think that um, one of the one of the things that I think is a real struggle right now is because so many educators left the field of education, we have a whole new crop of teachers standing in front of classrooms. And a lot of these educators um, are, you know, they haven't been through a pre-service program. They're, they're interning. So they're doing their teacher education program at the same time that they're trying to teach a class. And um, so they don't, they, they don't necessarily themselves feel safe in that space to be able to do, to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, I think back to when I first became a teacher and even in the best of times, you know, way, way back in the last century, um, you know, they warned teachers, oh man, the first three to five years, they're gonna be a killer, but you just gotta stick it out, right? Okay, nothing has changed from, you know, now, except that the, you know, the burden on top of your shoulders as an educator are about 10 times heavier than it was, you know, in the last century. So if we're not, you know, really focusing on adult social emotional learning and helping teacher wellness programs, and, you know, that could be a lunchtime walk with, you know, teachers, or I mean, there's, there's things that schools can do to put into place to support that educator wellness, then you know, that that creates a whole climate and culture of learning that our students will benefit from. Yeah. So it's so true. And it makes me you just said walk, you know, so you can do something at your schools and go for a walk. And I want to visit that now and then maybe towards the end, which gets the brilliance of this group here. What's a one tool like one self-care teacher wellness. Some people don't like the self-care term. It just feels impossible. Like that's for somebody who lives over there, not in education. Um, and I hear that a lot. It's fine. Like, but our wellness matters, mm -hmm. right? And it's, it's not just our physical wellness, but it's our emotional wellness. And right now our emotional wellness is probably needs a lot more attention. And although, you know, others would argue, so whatever, we need to be well, right? Physically and emotionally. And so a walk at lunch, like, you know, Edgar, what's one tip that you've seen? And then Loretta, you also, and then I'll speak like, what's one tip that you've seen somebody do that you're like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. And it's doesn't cost anything. Yeah. I'm putting some parameters around this for you guys. <laughs> yeah, I know. It didn't take a huge amount of training. What's one or two just right now? And then we'll come back. So we have our audience leave with some tools. You know, it's funny you ask that because I think it goes back to my previous answer where I'm astonished by this optimism or even in spite of all the challenges, how really educators step up 
and and it goes to show just the, the this is why we almost here I feel like we need to highlight for for this younger generation of all the great things about being an educator. And I say all this because one tactic I think is one that I, frankly I've implemented in my own life is just the power of gratitude, right? The power of in spite of all the challenges that there's a million reasons why being whether it be a teacher or administrator or no matter where you're at in the system that it's a pretty great job. Right. And, and I've heard this in terms of our members that in spite of even in the darkest days of the last couple of years, just taking that time. And I, I think this is something that's applicable for all of us. For kids. I mean, I've been trying to teach this to my teenage daughter, right, as she has her teenage angst and complaining about, you know, what she's going to wear to homecoming and having volleyball and go to Right. And, and, and we know all the stories, but it's just taking that step back and just spending a couple minutes each day to just think about for all the challenges there's there's always things that we could point to that are going well and that we should be thankful for and it really and, and the science backs it up i mean there's a ton of empirical data that research just that shows that the power of just spending some time with gratitude um, it does wonders for all of us mm -hmm. so that that's the one i would go to yeah thank you so much for that and i, I just want to add and then loretta i'll come to you and that sometimes like I don't know what to be grateful for. And it's like taking five minutes. And it, when people say do something for yourself, it can be five minutes for if you're a parent and an educator and you're, you know, maybe the soccer coach for your child's after school program and all the other things that educators who are givers by nature, right? Doing things for our churches, like all the things that we might be involved in. The bucket is overfilled but sometimes our bucket is not. And so it's hard to find the gratitude. And I think that if we can reel it back and make a practice of looking for the smile we created in someone else, thinking about like you go, we go home, it's like that didn't work and this didn't work and that kid and that parent and this and my, and my principal wants this and all the things. And if we can just step back and think, who did I, who did I make a difference for today? That's my reminder of why I come in every day. And and Edgar, to, to you know, I feel like that in gratitude. Like sometimes when we can't find it and grasp it, if we can feel yeah. the emotion of a student we served, and because of us, they got a snack, and because maybe they came to school hungry, or maybe because of us, they learned that math problem that was really making them feel not smart. Mm -hmm. because like that think of like we are making a massive difference mm -hmm. for kids and it's so easy to get caught up in what's wrong instead of really kind of trying to pay attention and without ignoring those things they're real yeah. but also not only becoming hyper focused on them yeah. Loretta I'm sorry I kind of took no, some no, no. Time there. that's good because gratitude's that important but on top of that because I do think that's a real key. I, I do think that, in a, and I was thinking about my own self in times where the metacognition piece, how do we think about what we're thinking or how do we feel about what we're feeling? And um, when I was getting my doctorate, it was in 2000, I started just before the uh, downturn of the economy in 2008-ish and uh, nine, and we couldn't, there was a hiring freeze. And as an administrator, I ended up taking on two district administrator jobs and I was getting my doctorate and I realized I was numb a lot. I was just numb. I couldn't, I didn't know what I was feeling. I didn't know what, I, you know, I was just felt like I thought my goal was to stay alive uh, between everything. Cause I had all these responsibilities, you know, and, and, and all felt equally important. And, um, and of course I'm an administrator, so I sucked it up, you know, so, you know, you suck it up and you do, you don't complain, you do it. But what I did start practicing is checking that check in with myself, that metacognition what am I, what is triggered? You know, so if I'm triggered, a lot of times I'm going so fast, I didn't even know that maybe a staff member triggered me, you know, and maybe there's a triggering thing that I need to think about, you know, like what is it that triggers in me? Maybe it's something about not them necessarily. Maybe it's just, 
you know, the chemistry or it's just a situation and they just trigger something that also in myself, you know, so giving ourselves time to kind of slow down enough to at least jot down and say, I've got to give myself when I, when I would drive home, I would think about the things that were like triggering. Why did this person, because I had a few, we all do when we're working with people that would trigger our emotions and create more stress. And I think we need to have, you know, I know that I think about my feelings and my thoughts mm-hmm. a lot as a as an older adult now, because I think it helps me to put into perspective when I am doing big things so that it doesn't cloud my ability to function effectively in other things, you know, so I try to put it into a certain spot, you know, whether it's, okay, well, this person is just going to be this way with you. And that's just the way that is, you know? And so I need to recognize that I'm not going to take a call late because it's going to keep me up at night from that person because I don't want that. Right. You know? So, so I think those are very, for me, that helps me produce a lot, I guess. And in the course of my life is because of those things. And, and I, that's my advice, I guess. Yeah, I, I, it's so powerful. And Carla, you and I were talking about one of the adult or educator SEL muscles that we teach and, you know, educators and do workshops on all the time is this a concept of ask versus tell. And it's not asking somebody to do something rather than telling them to. It's learning to ask for what we need. What the, the interesting thing in that instead of telling what's wrong, right? So if we tell what's wrong, we're in this complaining mode where it's not, it's not problem solving. And mm-hmm. if we're, what you're saying, Loretta, it, it just makes me think of that. Like as educators in this system of service to our youth, right? So we're in a system of service. That's where, how we're wired. Sure. Not, you know, not to make millions, right? And, but we're in service to them. So we're not necessarily thinking about those triggers. And what's causing them in the need that we're missing. Like, I need to be heard. I need to get some sleep. Or I need to feel valued and a part of this team. I need to be included. Like, But we're often just upset and not really paying attention to that. So, you know, we, we teach about accessing need. And then once we can start to do that better without it feeling like there's something wrong with us if we need something, right? There's actually something brilliant about us if we can recognize that I'm needing sleep tonight or I'm needing to come into school to a smiling person rather than, you know, a grouchy person. Or I might need to ask my class today, you know, I need five minutes from you of like maybe more than I ever asked just this morning. It just wasn't my best morning. We don't have to give up. I, storytelling came up earlier, Edgar. I think you were speaking to it too. Mm-hmm. We can say like, this wasn't my best morning without telling anybody that I had a fight with my partner. We don't have to, <laughs> we don't have to like disclose all these things. There's this big misnomer that if I do storytelling and tell about myself, it's like letting them in too close. Well, but aren't we all like, wanting to represent and model the resilience that we want our kids to have. So if we say, you know, this morning, I'm, it just wasn't my best morning. (laughs) And as I come in, I'm just going to ask you for a little bit of grace. Can you give me that? Who, even our hardest students or our most grouchy colleagues don't like, what do you say to that? But it's interesting because we don't ask, we don't tap into what we need so often. Right. So uh, I just, you know, I encourage that, like paying attention. It took me a long time to start to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is one of the plights of the, those in, of us in service to humanity. That's what we're doing in education. Well, um, Lord, I think that that's a super important point to make because especially for a lot of, um, especially for a lot of educators, they, there's this... Um, hesitancy to appear vulnerable in front of students. And it's actually uh, a great way to model for students. If you yourself as an educator can ask for what you need, then that models and gives permission for students to ask Mm -hmm. what they need. And so that's really important. 
for them to be able to see an adult that they respect, um, you know, being vulnerable and asking for help that it's not anything to be ashamed of. Um, so I think that that's a, you know, really important in our current environment. And I just wanted to give a couple of tips, if I might, yeah, uh, self-care tips that are super, these are like my go-to things. Um, first of all, at the beginning of every year, I put together a, a happiness playlist. Music is my, you know, my biggest transformer. Um, and so I would put together a playlist from YouTube of, of songs that made me happy or inspired me so that when I got in that, you know, mood of feeling down or discouraged, then I could put that on and that shifts it right away. And so if I do that before the school year starts, then I know I have that in my toolkit to be able to, you know, to, to go to if I need it. The other thing that I learned to do um, is to keep a joyful journal and not, and this doesn't have to be a big thing, but I would, in my, um, in my lesson planning book, I would intentionally look for a moment of joy and record it every day because I found I'm a very em empathetic person. And so I would find that those, I found that those joyful moments that I was experiencing with students were, were getting buried under all of the needs of students. And I was forgetting about those joyful moments. So if I just record one moment of joy every day, then I can leaf through there when I'm like discouraged and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to give up. What am I doing, doing this job? I can't do it. And I can kind of leaf through my lesson plan book and like, oh my God. And it just reminds me of those joyful moments in education. And so those two things have been really helpful for me throughout my career. Um, so I just wanted to share those two, two tips. I love them. Uh, music is a big thing for a lot of people. And I love that joy list, the happiness playlist. That's amazing. And I just want to say that all the tips that you might hear, if anything resonates with you, it didn't have to start at the start of the school year. It can start tomorrow. It can start this evening. Like where we are is where we are in this moment, but it doesn't define or dictate where we have to be in the next moment. Mm -hmm. So if there's something that's calls to you to do a little different, you can start anytime. I, I want, I want to say that because sometimes it's like, Oh, it's too late. If, you know, you focus all on the rules at the beginning of the year. And it's like, now we're talking about relationships and start. You're like, it's okay. Just go into school tomorrow and tell your kids or your staff, Edgar, your group, your counselors, like, look, you have the influence of the whole school. Like, you know what? We're going to just shift this right now. What do you mean? Like, what's really actually fun about a drastic shift towards something positive and joyful midstream is that everybody's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. what are we doing and you have their attention more than if you did it on day one actually so like make a playlist and play it in the class like when our class gets grouchy we're going to play the happy playlist like i love that um carla that was really a fun um music i hear a lot but that that playlist thing is good um so i, I want to chat we don't really have that much more time which is crazy how fast an hour goes especially when passionate people are talking about passion things uh what are some of the roadblocks in SEL with those you serve? Like, what are we finding as the roadblock? And what is your thought as the professional and expert that you are on one way around that roadblock, under, over, around it, through it, whatever it is, but we can't let the roadblock stop mm -hmm. us, right? And I think we would all agree to that. So mm -hmm. who would like to, to start that? Like, what, what are you finding is some of the roadblocks and what's one tip on a way around it? I mean, I'll just throw out that I think for all the attention, it's so on one end, there's a lot of attention on SEL and, uh, and, and wellness in general, right? For, for, and and I'll, I'll shift back to students for a second. I think one piece that we hear still a lot uh, in, in, in various communities, whether it be from administrators or administrators working with the respective teams, is while people have identified that they, they see all the unique challenges that students are dealing with and you know even if you look at here over the last couple of years as we're coming off of the pandemic i think there's still and sometimes there's there's the folks may be a little bit sheepish of, of acknowledging this that the capacity to deal with the issues like the 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 the, the actually okay we know that we need to do more 
the what or how or how do we tackle this? So I, I still think we're always talking about resources at the, at the systemic level, more funding, you know, making these connections to, to these systems. Uh, but I think the capacity building at all levels, just giving people the tools to serve, whether it be their teams, to serve their students, I think there's still more work to be done on that front. Okay, amazing. That's really great to hear too. And I think that sometimes there's so many tools out there that's almost overwhelming. You get, as an as an administrator, counselor, office, maybe not a teacher, as many, but you know, a hundred emails a week of all the things. Yeah, and Lori, you know, one thing, and I think, and I can't remember we were talking this before we came on live, but let, let's let's bring up a actually a specific example that gets that I think it's one of these issues of the day. As in many communities, we talked about the politicization of, of kind of education, whether folks having to deal with the, the politics of folks questioning curriculum that's being taught or pressures from parents uh, or looking at all the various issues that came out of the pandemic. So it's and that in itself is causing stressors, right, not only for the individual, for students. So I think even those specific now issues, the 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 racial and civil unrest that we saw in many communities over the last couple of years. Uh, folks feeling like, I, I know I know my students are dealing with things that maybe these were unique issues that weren't being talked about as much. How can I make sure I'm addressing those specific issues? Yeah, because you're right. And I think it's now tailoring the right tools or the appropriate tools to the specific issue. Because you're right, There's it could almost be overwhelming to just have resources, models, strategies it's really connecting that to the issue of the day right thank you so much and thank you for bringing up the conversation that you know some people or dance around don't want to bring up but this is what education is facing and i i like to think of you know all of us we have the same outcome goal like we just want to see our kids thrive mm -hmm. and so we don't necessarily like there's no need to be at each other so thank you for speaking to that edgar um, who would like to go next, Carla? Sure. Um, I think one of the barriers is um, uh, parents, you know, families, parents that may not understand um, understand what social emotional learning is, um, and they want the best for their students. They want the best for their children, and they hear about this learning loss that you know is everywhere in social media, you know, um, news, articles, they see it everywhere and they want their kids to be ready for the next step. But that same kind of um, value isn't put on social emotional learning. So figuring out a way to communicate what social emotional learning is and why it's important to parents, um, I think that's a, that's a barrier because so many of our teachers have really been um, on the front lines the last couple of years and dealing with a lot of upset from from parents and families because of vaccines or masks and so they're not real excited to jump into the fray again and have you know arguments with parents about the value of social emotional learning so i think that one of the things that we can do is provide them with some tools you know a one pager of information that parents can easily digest so that they better understand what social emotional learning is. Maybe use language, not social emotional learning, but the language that they're used to hearing from when they were in school. Oh, this is character education, or these are life skills that you need to be successful in the world. You know, the, the learning and thinking about different ways to talk about um, these skills and strategies that we're helping kids, um, you know, create uh, a, a tool box of things that they'll be able to use in their life. I think that that's super, you know, important for a lot of educators, educators out there. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I think it's, you know, important for us to make sure that we're speaking to our community in ways they can hear us, mm -hmm. transparent, honest, passionate ways that they're able to, to connect to us. And I think that that's our job, which is a big part of why bringing our own SEL tools in, like, you know, we might use a certain word that our community doesn't, you know, doesn't resonate with them. So let's not be stubborn about a word. Let's, let's be transparent about a concept so that we all understand what we're 
doing for our kids together. So Loretta. Sure. So Carla, (laughs) tell tell everyone your title again. I am am the director of school-based mental health and wellness at Siskiyou County Office of Education. Wonderful. And so my point is, is that Someone decided that that was important enough to own. Someone needs to own it, (laughs) right? And we've seen positions like that bubbling up in county offices, actually, and actually at district levels, because someone needed to own it. If no one owns it, then it doesn't happen. You know, it just doesn't, you know? So in this role, the issue is, is that who owns social emotional learning? Who owns those aspects? How does an if the administrator thinks they can own that and everything else, that's probably not going to be very effective because it won't take priority in any given day. But if you have a team or an individual who can own that responsibility, that can say this is, you know, and come with the ideas and to make it work is so effective. And I do think that if there was a silver lining for COVID, it's absolutely this is that we recognize, I think school counselors are knocking on people's doors and saying, administrators saying, we, we have a crisis. We knew one out of five kids was a, had a mental health diagnosable issue, right? Before the pandemic, but there was not very much movement with that. Very little, it was on the edges. If I think we can all agree to that. It wasn't really centered. Now we have people that are actually assigned to it. And that's what we need. And we need to scaffold those things within the trainings and expertise of the people on our school campuses. So, you know, you might have a, a like we have literacy coaches. You could have SEL coaches mm-hmm. that do that, that work in different kind of capacities and to structure that in a way with outcomes and data that shows the effectiveness of at least deliverables, if nothing else, but also in outcomes for students. You know, so if you have a say, for an example, you have an attendance issue. You know, you have, and I'm not talking about just regular tenants. I'm saying chronic attendance issues, kids aren't showing up. You know, how do you, you, someone has to own that too. You know, you have to figure out what the strategy someone has to take. So that's, that is what I think is one of the bigger barriers is how we scaffold now that we're post, maybe post COVID, somewhat post COVID Mm -hmm. is, is how do we take the mental health, the social emotional learning, the soft skills, whatever we want to call it. And how do we structure our schools in a way that is effective in a multi-tiered system of support? And uh, I think uh, we're right for that. And I'm glad, and I'm going to turn it to Lori because Lori's doing this while doing the training that she's doing in her school districts across the state of California and all those things, because it is about that. It's, It's about the strategies and the people involved to make that happen for the kids and and for the adults on campus. You know, that's the whole package, right? Yeah, thank you, Loretta. And, and from there, and you mentioned MTSS model, and many educators know what that is. And it's the three tiers of support, right? So your first tier, which is the universal tier, and we might have an image that pops up, is the tier that says everybody's got to be responsible. That's what I want to say, is that we all need to take the responsibility. If I'm an office, you know, if I'm an office secretary, if I'm a health office nurse, if I'm an administrator, a counselor, if I'm the bus driver, if if I'm the classroom teacher, the library aide, the campus supervisor, the custodian, whoever we are, we don't have to have a specific content curriculum to teach SEL to live SEL. And SEL is literally the invitation that says you are welcome here. I'm glad you're here. You look like you're having not such a great day. What what can I do for you? Do What do you need from me? Those are some basic atmospheric builds that we can do collectively across all roles in an education system that says when you come to our school, to our campus, to this soccer team, to this after school club, wherever we're serving. When you come here, you're welcome, you're valued, you're important, and we're gonna make sure that we tell you that and we show you that. So without having to be super pressured about the next thing, and to Loretta's point, you know, we need to have the champions that are saying, let's get the tools and, and add the tools. But before we have all the tools, 
we can have the atmospheres that collectively staff and students can feel trust in and we can heal within. And when we heal, we can learn. And learning doesn't happen when we're really not well emotionally. So I really want to thank all of you so much for being here and Cal Hope Schools Initiative for making this a possible uh, webinar discussion to serve the community of education in the public community of education in California. Um, the, you know, Cal Hope School Initiative is a champion for this work, a champion for the mental health of our students and, uh, and our staff, because again, we can't pour from an empty cup. Thank you for being here. We appreciate that you joined us and we'll see you next month. Thank you. Okay. Great job, everybody. Yes, thank you. So thanks, Lori. Good job. I, I think it's still live. I'm reading this little ticker here.